Trades Work, the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association podcast starts right now. Here's your host, Dave DeVito. Welcome back to Trades Work, where we highlight the issues important to the skilled trades our society depends on and always seeks to put Colorado first. Joining us today is George Sparks, President and CEO of the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. His passion is public policy, particularly around science and education. George, thank you for joining us today. Glad to be here, Dave. This is fun. Yeah, so um, you and I have bumped into each other over the years, and I've been uh, very uh, admired your work from a a little bit of afar. Uh, Now that you're at the Denver Chamber, we get to work more closely together, and I'm excited to have you here today. So you've been the president and CEO of the Denver Museum of Nature and Science for 19 years, right out of high school as we established earlier today. That's an incredible run. What led you to the museum, and what do you attribute your longevity to? So it was a circuitous route to the museum and not necessarily the way it was planned. So when I was 45 years old at Hewlett-Packard, I had an executive coach. And during that time, I decided that when I turned 55, I was going to leave the business world and go find a nonprofit to run. So six days after I was 55, I left and uh, started looking for a job. And uh, you may know Raleigh Heath. He ran for governor a long time ago. He and I had a small consulting business for a while. And after a little bit of that, I said, I really need a team again. I want to be on a team. So I was literally in the boardroom interviewing to be president of the Colorado Community College System. And he was at that same moment on the floor of the Democratic National Convention in 2004. He got a call from a headhunter about the CEO of the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. And he said, nope, I don't want that job, and I, but I'm going to give you a name, and I guarantee you'll hire this person. And that's how it happened. That's an amazing story. So why you've been there for about 19 years now. What keeps you going back every day? It's a, it's a wonderful place in that it's about kids. It's about science. It's about engineering, technology, the natural world. I can get engaged in just about anything in Denver, things from workforce to um, climate change to education. And I love all of those things. So for me, it's a, it's a wonderful base from which to grow got a great team that runs the museum. Uh, they really don't need me there all the time, so I get to go out and do things like participate in not other nonprofits and things like the Chamber of Commerce. Tell us, I, I hear there's a, a rumor there's a bone room at the Museum of Nature and Science. Is that true? Well, actually, we have a uh, about 75,000 square feet of artifacts. We have 4.5 million artifacts, and we have so many bones Mm. downstairs in this climate-controlled, probably the best collection facility in the world from a climate-control point of view. And uh, we have bones, we have artifacts from Native Americans, we have leaves, fossils, you name it. And I would like to extend you an invitation to come by, uh, you and your team, everybody in this room, and I'll give you a tour of the collection facility. Wow! It's the five-ticket ride at the museum. We don't have to leave any when we leave, do we? No, no. Okay, good, good. That sounds interesting. I will take you up on that, definitely. We'll have fun. It's amazing to me when you walk through that facility and you take a look at everything that's in it. 
And, you know, from little teeny tiny bones up to some of those dinosaurs Mm -hmm. and, you know, some of the exhibits of the animals and the taxidermy and everything that is there, it just, it's fascinating how much goes into making that run. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about volunteerism. You mentioned that just a minute ago. So you're a member of the Colorado Forum, Colorado Concern. You're on the boards of the Colorado Education Initiative, the Colorado Music Hall of Fame, the Colorado Business Roundtable, and currently serve as the chair of the board of the Denver Metro Chamber of Commerce. How do you do all that? Well, it really helps to have a uh, a spouse that's supportive, and my wife Chandra Wilson is very supportive of this. She She's a surgeon, so she works long hours as well. And the most important thing is my executive assistant, mm. Kelly Southern. We've been together 18 years now, so she finishes my sentences. She knows exactly what's important and what's not. So she helps me manage all of that, and I could not do it without her. Yeah, she's amazing. We uh, It only took a, a brief phone call to get this set up, and she's uh, – very thorough. She is indeed. So I, I understand the education tie and I understand the civic tie. Music Hall of Fame, talk about that a little bit. Well, it turns out when the Colorado Music Hall of Fame was created, they wanted to do a museum. So I've kind of become the go-to guy here when, mm. when organizations want to start a museum. So we've been working on this for the past several years. Where would we put a museum? What's the focus of it, et cetera? So we're about to uh, move forward on this, I would say, in the next couple of years. It's really, uh, it's pretty easy to start a museum. It's really hard to keep them going. So we yeah. want to make sure what we do is sustainable. Well, I can't wait to hear about that. I've heard rum- uh, rumblings about that. And we've been fortunate in this state to have Barry Fay and mm-hmm. and uh, Chuck Morris mm-hmm. and some real icons in the industry. And Rainbow Music Hall was one of the very, actually was the very first place I saw a concert yeah. uh, years ago. And so Colorado's rich in, in music history for sure. So let's talk a little bit about public policy. I know you say that your passion is public policy, especially that around science and education. Why is that? What led this passion? What, like, what drives it in you? Well, I, to start with, I'm an engineer and a business person. That's, those are sort of my core values. Even though I run a museum, the museum's a business. And as an engineer, I like to have things tied up neatly and, and precise so one of the things that I work on now is the evolution of our energy system, especially how it affects climate change. Uh, we were going to do an exhibit on climate change, and we went out and talked to the community, and they said, please don't talk anymore about climate change. We get it. You can't yell any louder or scare us anymore. Tell us what we're going to do about it. And so right now what I'm trying to do is to help Colorado become the clean tech capital of the world the Silicon Valley, if you will, of all the new technologies and businesses that are going to help us evolve our energy system slowly over the next 50 or 60 years away from fossil fuels toward things like geothermal and nuclear and carbon capture. There's going to be an enormous opportunity for businesses and for the trades, frankly, because mm-hmm. we need to build things in order to make that uh, make that happen. Yeah, it's in flight already, uh, as you, you and I have talked before. And we know, uh, I know that there's an institute that you guys had started and we've been over to visit. Uh, you've hosted a couple forums uh, and uh, really great leadership there. What, what's the next level for kind of that effort in your mind? So we're going through a strategic planning process right now, right now for the institute. Mm-hmm. I personally would like to see it become, uh, I'll call it an affiliate of the museum or like a 
where we have joint boards, and then maybe create other uh, affiliates around the country, take it to a national level. When we started, we were the only one in the world that was like that connected to a museum. Now other museums are coming to us asking how they can create similar organizations. The issue is that museums historically have looked in the rearview mirror what happened. And increasingly, uh, I believe we need to be looking out the windshield with our high beams on and where are we headed as a society. And that's what the Institute can do is help us understand issues like climate change, energy, water, forestry, uh, agriculture. A lot of issues we have to deal with that all have a scientific component and all require financing and people to make those things happen. Well, I love the tagline, uh, making science second nature, uh, and really how you do that kind of in your energy focus. How did you come up with that? What was what was the driving force behind that? I, I don't know. Kristen Uhlenbrock, the director of the Institute, came up with that line. She's also the one that's done a couple of our podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first podcast was a podcast around Craig, Colorado, an eight-part series around closing the coal mines and the power plant up there the human implications of that. And that podcast won a gold medal from the uh, National Science Academy last year. Wow. We just finished one on water in the San Luis Valley. We're about to start one on air pollution. So she's the uh, genius behind a lot of the creative things happening at the Institute. Well, I might invite her to participate in a future fo- podcast. Oh, you'd, you'd be thrilled. She, she's uh, really an expert at this. Yeah. Well, you talk, uh, we'll switch a little bit to trades. You talk a little bit about uh, the trades and how important they have been and are, uh, especially as a we kind of look through that windshield, as you say. So, you know, we talked about the bone room. You talked a little bit about climate control. So what does the process of preserving artifacts look like and how does temperature control and air quality matter? If you're not familiar with the museum business, you think, well, I've got something, I'll save it, I'll put it in a drawer up in the closet or whatever. Turns out, things deteriorate over time unless you carefully control both the humidity and the temperature. And we have a 75,000 square feet collection facility that has about $10 million worth of cabinetry in it. And the cabinetry is important because it allows you to lay out the artifacts, separate them from each other, have continuous uh, humidity within about a couple percent of 50% of humidity and a couple degrees within 70 degrees. And hold it there forever. And if you can do that and you can keep bugs out, and bugs are another big deal. We have bug uh, traps all over the museum and we carefully monitor food waste, et cetera, to make sure we don't get bugs. If you can do those two things, most things, and if you keep them in a dark room, so you close up these cabinets, most things will last for centuries, you know, as we've seen with Mm. things in Egypt that have been buried in the pyramids. But if you don't do that, as we know, you know, especially uh, bugs will get in there and eat your clothing or things will slowly deteriorate and go back to nature. It's a big deal. It's a, it takes a lot of time. We have a, a collection staff just to take care of the collections and to repair things as they do deteriorate. Of about 20 people. Full-time people just mm-hmm. taking care of what's in the cabinets. Yeah, yeah, especially things like fabrics. You have to be really careful around fabrics. Make sure they're laid out, rolled carefully. What do you What are you most proud of from an exhibit perspective? You personally? Oh, the, from an exhibit perspective, that's an interesting. We're about ready to redo our Gems and Mineral Hall. That's probably my favorite place there. I mm. used to be a mineral collector, so from my personal point of view, it's that one. Space Odyssey has has been just an amazing 
uh, exhibit. We redid it about two years ago. Uh, we're going to do a hall of energy evolution, hmm. which I'm particularly interested in. How will we evolve our energy system over the next 50 or 60 years? Hmm. It's hard to pick among your children. Yeah, absolutely. I use that same line here. <laughs> so, uh, you know, where do you see the museum fitting into the fabric of the city in this state? And, you know, what do you hope people walk away with when they leave the museum? Well, that's a really good question. And when I talk to people about building museums or any sort of thing where they engage the public, I think the most important thing is is how they feel when they leave your door as they exit the building. And I was standing by the building in March, spring break, and this couple with their two kids were leaving the building, and it clearly they were from out of town. And the woman turned to the kids and she said, wasn't that the coolest museum you've ever been to? And they were just floating as, as they left the building. And that's what we want. We want everybody, whether it's their first visit or their 50th visit, to leave there and go, wow, that was the coolest place. I'm coming back to that place. And that's how we fit in the community. We, we don't want to be just a museum where you come and take your kids on a field trip. We want to be a community gathering place. So we use our building a lot for nonprofits to hold meetings and galas. Uh, we always comp on the space and, and try to make it a welcoming place. We'll give them tours when they when they bring their uh, donors or whoever in there. We help them raise money for their nonprofits. We want it to be more like a community center than just a museum. Yeah, I think you accomplished that. I've been there for most of the things you describe event-wise, and mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, a, it's a magical place. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah. And you guys have spent a lot of time continuing to care for the building and upkeep and reinventing spaces. And, uh, you know, that always makes us trade yeah. people very happy. Yeah. So, well, good. So in our trades, we use science a lot to make all the things go, the guts of the building, making sure that the climate is right. How do we encourage more folks that are considering kind of what's next in their life, either be it a K-12 student or somebody is reassessing their kind of career path, how do we get folks, in your opinion, more interested in the trades? Because that's something we struggle with at times. Yeah, I think that that America is undergoing a little bit of an identity crisis around careers right now. Uh, Something like 60% of the people don't believe college is worth it now. Uh, when I went to college, college was a couple thousand dollars a year, and now it's eighty thousand dollars a year at a really expensive school. It's hard to get a return on an investment that large, and many people graduate from college with degrees that don't really bring that return, and they're saddled with a lot of debt. So I think people are reevaluating, and I think there's also an element of we've kind of held college up as that's the answer. If you don't go to college, you're really not good enough to go to college, and and we kind of look down our nose at people. And that should uh, not be the case because every we need everybody to have society work. I tell my kids that if I were 30 years old, I'd start a heat pump company because mm-hmm. you can just tell where it's going to go in the future. Things like clean energy, uh, new technologies, and those are going to be really satisfying, complicated careers that will last for decades. Yeah. And uh, chat GPT will not take your job away. There are going to be a lot of jobs that people go to college for now that are going to be uh, automated by AI, uh, probably cause people a lot of frustration. So I really ask people to look around, think about the different things. What do you like to do with your time? If you like to work with your hands and your mind, 
There are a lot of jobs that uh, that don't involve sitting in a cubicle all day and behind a computer screen. You'd probably be a lot happier and maybe even make a lot more money over your career. Yeah, you're preaching to the choir there. Yeah. Well, good. So tell us, uh, so all of our podcast listeners, what is something that they don't know or would surprise listeners about the Museum of Nature and Science? Well, probably the best kept secret is that we have a thing that looks like a freezer. If you remember the old chest freezers, Mm -hmm. that is flesh-eating beetles. And when we get an animal, say an animal that died at the zoo or roadkill from DIA, we need to take the flesh off of these bones before we can dry the bones out and preserve them. So we have a colony of flesh-eating beetles where we just throw the bones and the meat in there, and they eat it mm. and clean it off better than any human would ever do it. And the same colony of beetles has been intact for 40 years. Wow. So it's just been generation after generation of beetles. And it's a pretty cool thing to see. You'll get to see it when you come do the behind-the-scenes tour. Hmm. Just don't fall into the chest. Okay. Word of the wise. (laughs) That's good advice, George. (laughs) And we appreciate your leadership in the city. We appreciate all the things that you do at the Denver Chamber. It's an organization that's near and dear to my heart uh, for many years. And the leadership over there with JJ at the helm and and, uh, Ray Gonzalez is just amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we appreciate your work. Anything you want to mention uh, about what you're most excited about there and what you look forward to from the work that the Chamber is doing today? Well, I think the Chamber's working on some really interesting things around workforce, economic development. I think in the biotech and clean tech areas, I think we have so much opportunity to lure companies to Colorado, start up companies here. The Chamber is a, a, a work of joy for me. I, I'm so fortunate to be ch- the chair of the Chamber for a year. And I enjoy every single minute of it. So tell me, uh, we always like to ask uh, uh, all of our uh, guests, you know, George probably didn't in elementary school or junior high say, someday I'm going to run the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. Like, what was the adolescent or school George? What was his aspirational goals from a career perspective? So I grew up and I went to grade school in the 50s and high school in the 60s. So my heroes were the astronauts. I wanted to be an astronaut, an aeronautical engineer, and a pilot more than anything else in the world. And I really set my sights on that right from the very beginning. My dad would bring a black and white TV to school so we could watch the launches. I cut my hair like the astronauts did. I had a buzz cut, really dorky looking today. We all wanted to be astronauts back then. They all inspired us. And I was lucky enough to get an appointment to the Air Force Academy Hmm. Uh, even though I never became an astronaut, I did become an engineer and a pilot and was able to serve my country at that. And it was all because of those seven astronauts. Hmm. That's great. Well, thank you for your service. Hmm. That's an amazing story. And, so I've got, I've got one little side story that you may find interesting as yeah. well. Uh, Alan Shepard, first man in space, mm-hmm. he hit a golf ball on the moon when he flew to the moon. His daughter is a, a colleague of mine and a friend and... The original golf club that he used is in the USGA Hall of Fame. Another copy of it is in the Smithsonian. There were two other copies made. His daughter has one, and she gave one to me because of my service around some educational things. Mm. So in my office, when you come in there, you'll get to see uh, a copy of of Alan Shepard's golf club that he used to hit the golf ball on the moon. She recently went up. uh, Laura Shepard Churchley is his Mm -hmm. daughter. She recently went up on the Blue Origin rocket, right? And she took her copy of that golf club up as yeah. her baggage on that flight. 
That's neat. It's a really cool. And we had two astronauts in last last week who've done a lot of things with the uh, museum. And I showed them the golf club, and they said, oh, my God, the people down in Houston are going to be so jealous So we got the oldest thing. <laughs> well, George, I've had a great time having you here on the show. Thank you for your service there as well. Yeah. And thank you, Dave, for what you do. You're a leader in this community, and, and I've always said that you're one of the smartest guys I've ever uh, ever met so you you know a lot of, about a lot of things and when you say something i always listen and carefully consider it so thank you yeah well thank you but, uh, you must lose your mind at moments to make that kind of a statement do but i do appreciate <laughs> it all right well thank you that concludes our show today thank you george listeners thank you so much for joining us stay tuned for more industry insights news and information about the women and men building our communities building our skylines building our futures Tradeswork is a production of the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association. For more information about our organization, please visit rmmca.org.